family that had just uh, started coming to church and family had gotten converted and they were talking about a children's dedication service and so uh, they came to the preacher and said, would you dedicate our whole family? We're new Christians and we'd like to be dedicated. And so they had the morning service and they brought the family up and gave them a challenge as we do for uh, baby dedication or children dedication and when it was all over and the service was finished and they were heading home, the four-year-old boy sitting in the back seat began to weep and cry and sob. And the parents asked him, what, what's the matter? And he couldn't quit crying long enough to tell them. They asked him three times, what's the matter? He said, well, the preacher said that we ought to be raised in a Christian home. And I want to stay with you guys. Only children, you know, understand that kind of thing. I want to share with you this morning a scripture from the 21st chapter of the book of John where Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. I wonder how many times he's asked us that question. 21 verse 15 says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said unto him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And so I thought about that question. You see, do you love Jesus? This is the major question that hits the heart of all Christian people. I've had quite of an experience over the last week visiting with a younger sister who's on the verge of death. But she said, you, I love Jesus. I have loved Jesus all these years. And I know that I can trust him to do what he said he'd do. So for me to live and to be with my family would be wonderful. But to die is to be with Jesus, who promised me eternal life. I wonder, when Jesus asked Simon Peter, Son, do you love me? Three times he asked this question, Do you love me? And church, I wonder today if Jesus is not asking us the same question. Do we really love Jesus? I mean, there's a difference. Notice what he said. If you look at the scripture, it says, if anyone would come after me, or another translation would say, if anyone be my disciple, the text is a question. It's a question. Do you love me? And so I wonder when I thought about that, do you love me? What he's really saying is, do you love me enough to walk with me? Do you love me enough 
to be able to be one of my disciples, to be one of my followers. And I ask today, do you who are sitting here really love Jesus? I mean, I mean, when I'm talking about loving him, I'm talking about he's saying, do you love me enough to be my follower, to do what I ask you to do, to live the kind of life that I've asked you to live, the life that I'm willing to provide you with the power to live? Do you love me enough to live that life and walk as I walk? When it comes down to it, the most important question anyone can answer is, do you love Jesus? When Jesus starts talking about loving, he talks about taking up a cross daily and following him. Now, if you love him enough, the cross-bearing will not be hard. But do you love him enough? You, you, in fact, the scripture really tells us we must love Jesus in order to be a follower. Without the love of God, we will not do what he asks us to do. And so many people today believe in him. And there's a difference, my friend. There's a big difference in believing and believing in Jesus and loving Jesus. There's a there's a huge difference. Many people in the world know they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that He did live. They believe that He did die. But do they love Him for what He has done? There's a difference. You see, it's a difference between what you think in your mind and what you feel in your heart. And so there, when I begin to see this question, do you love me enough to be able to be my followers, enough to do what I ask you to do? To they, you see, those that love Him will walk as He walked. Those that love Him, truly love Him, will talk as He talked. Those that love Him, they will be the very presence of Jesus in the world. We become Jesus to the world because of the way we live, because of the way we talk, because of the way we act, because of what we do in this life. And so I asked the question this morning, do you really have Jesus in your heart? I mean, is he living within your heart? It means do you love those that Jesus loved? Stop to think about that. Do we love as Jesus loved? Do we love people the way that Jesus loved people? You see, today, much damage has been done in the Christian witness by those who claim the name through the years of being people who claim to be Christian. They claim to be a part of the family of God. They claim to be Christian, but they say that as a Christian, my friend, their attitude is altogether different than what Jesus was. They don't think as Jesus did. They, they, they many times they claim the name of Christ, but they are cold and they're demanding and they're demeaning and sometimes even cruel to people. I thought about that. You know, in order to live as Jesus lived, the reason why that Jesus is not accepted by a lot of people in the world today is because they're looking at individuals who claim to be Christian who don't live it out. I'm reminded of the pastor who was holding special meetings at his church and the local news editor from the religion department came and wanted to have an interview with him about the services they were going to have. She was going to write an article in the paper and so he made the appointment and she came and she sat across the desk from him. She got all the information. And just as she went to leave, the pastor said, well, let me ask you, 
are you really a born-again Christian? And he said she made a statement that just amazed him. She said, no, I'm not. She said, I was raised in church as a child. But about ten years ago, I became interested in Buddhism. Because she said, in Buddhism, the value of Buddhism is compassion for people. And then he said, she said something that really, the next comment she made, he said, was like she had put her hand on my chest and, and began to squeeze me. Because she simply made this statement. She said, the people I grew up in around the church, they were the least compassionate people I have ever known in my life. And that's the reason why I have gone to Buddhism. And I begin to think about that. How many times have we heard that statement about people who claim to be Christian? Listen to me, church. We are the witness to this community. We are the witness to the people we deal with daily. Do they see Christ's compassion? Do they see His love within us? That we care about those that are there. And begin to think about Jesus' compassion. Jesus, my friend, is compassion. He showed compassion to all that came to Him. Jesus is compassion visible. He made it become visible. And the name, my friend, of Jesus is calling, my friend, to embrace us. He's calling us to embrace what He embraced. Now begin to think about Jesus' life and the kind of love and compassion He had. When I thought about the Scriptures, it tells about how that Jesus saw this man that was blind. I don't know how many today's world blind people get along pretty good. We, we have new ways of dealing with them. But in the early days, blind people were just kind of set aside. And I've known a few. I've even pastored a few. And I felt sorry because sometimes, you know, they can't see. And, and unless somebody tells them what they look like, they can become pretty havoc looking. And Jesus saw this blind man who was struggling his way through the street and trying to find him. And when he heard about Jesus, blind Bartimaeus called out to him, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now Jesus, the crowd said, push him aside. Be quiet. But Jesus had enough compassion that he went to that man. He went there and ministered to him. I thought about the compassion of Jesus when he saw that man that was crippled and dirty, that laid at the steps begging alms in the dirt of the street and in the dirt of the heat of the day, and yet everybody that went to the synagogue to worship and to have a great time together in their fellowship, but yet they never paid much attention to him. But Jesus took time. Jesus had mercy and compassion on him. I thought about the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And in those days, they were to stone her to death. And they brought her before him and said, Look, here we've caught her in the very act of this thing of adultery. You know what the law says. But Jesus looked down at them and said, Those of you that were without sin, you cast the first stone. I'm sure they came there with rocks in their hand. I'm sure they were ready. They, that, you know, that was a feisty thing in that day to be able to say we were in that crowd. We see it today all over the television. Most of those people that are there in them crowd don't even know why they're there. They're just there because there's a crowd there. They want to be a part of it. That's what they did that day. 
But Jesus said, as He said to them, He said, those of you, and He pointed His finger right at them and said, those of you that have never sinned, those of you without sin, you cast the first stone. And I can almost imagine what happened. It's the thud, 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 not against the woman, but dropping the stone and backing away. And Jesus reached down and took her. And He put the hand and He lifted her up. And He said to her, Where art thou, accusers? And she looked around and they were gone. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That's compassion, my friend. Today we have a tendency when somebody does something wrong that we want to put our finger on them. We want to shove them down. We want to put them below. Let me tell you something. Jesus said as Christians, we need to be lifting people up out of those situations, helping them through those times. Jesus was compassion visible. He was there. My friend, I wonder today if there's someone that Jesus is asking maybe you to reach out to. Maybe there's someone that's hurting. Maybe there's someone that would love to go to church. That would love to sit in this congregation. But they feel guilty. They feel dirty. They feel as though they're not worthy. None of us has been worthy. We are only worthy by the grace of God. Because of His grace and His mercy that saved us and cleansed us and made us different individuals. How much do you love Jesus today? Do you love Him for what He has done for you? Do you love Him for what He's able to do for other folks? You see, there's a determination in that question. Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? I want to say, do you you love Jesus? Maybe He's wanting you to reach to somebody. Otherwise, they would be ignored. But do you have Jesus in your heart? If you do, you'll reach out to them. There's another thing. Do you have Jesus' courage? You see, it takes courage today to take up a cross. Many in the church, my friend, live lives today of least resistance. I mean, we we have a new word for it. We call it compromise. But basically, we live a life. Most Christians today, unless they're really on fire for God, live a life of least resistance. I mean, they'll drop their moral standards because they don't want to offend somebody. They'll, They'll not do a certain thing because they don't want to offend somebody. The convictions that they have, they won't stand up for because they don't want to offend somebody. Let me tell you something. Jesus brought offense to a lot of people in order to get them out of the mess they were in. And sometimes we need to be honest enough with people to tell them that this is not the way it is. You know what? I find this through life. There's many of people that that even said, they'll say, well, I know you don't believe this or you wouldn't do that, but I don't believe that way. Well, let me tell you something. It makes no difference what you believe as long as you believe what the Word says. That's what's important. Many people, you see, we don't want to ruffle. We don't want to offend. We don't want to ruffle. We don't want to wake up sleeping dogs. If you can get through life pretty well, never taking a stand. You can. You can get through life, my friend, never standing for your convictions and neither being cold nor hot. But let me tell you something. Read the book. Because the Bible says when we become lukewarm, when there's nothing wrong and nothing right, he said he'd spew us out of his mouth. In other words, we're not pleasing God. You've got to have courage enough to stand for what it ought to be. We ought to be able to stand. But Jesus said about such people, he'd spew them out of their mouth. You know, a few years ago there was a, there was a fellow, and it hit the news. And in fact, even they made a movie of it. A fellow by the name of uh, uh, Jeffrey, uh, what was his last name? Jeffrey Winland. 
The headlines expose his illegal, unethical practices by his employer. You see, the employer that he was working for was Browns and Williams. It was a tobacco company that literally knew they were putting poison in the tobacco that they were selling and that people were smoking. And then Jeffrey got saved, and Jeffrey began to think about this and begin conviction of it, and he made it aware. He made it a public awareness. You know what? He lost a job of $300,000 a year overnight over that. Instantly he was fired. There were death threats put on his life. His people that he worked with and his friends and colleagues wanted nothing more to do with him. In fact, they made a movie of it called The Insider. It was all because a man took a stand. But I love what Jeffrey had to say. Today he is still a target of occasional threats. He's only making about one-tenth of his salary that he made. But you know what he said? He made this claim. He said, I'm happier now than I've ever been in all my life. I'm more happy now. The interviewing with Time Magazine, Jeff said, I felt dirty before as an executive for a cigarette company that was taking and doing harmful damage to people's health. He said, I tell you what, he said, they were poisoning people. But now I feel good because I have Jesus in my heart and He's in my family. I don't need the cars. I don't need the fancy suits and ties. I don't need all of those things any longer. He said the thing that makes me happy is when a kid comes up to me and says, you know what, mister, I will never smoke a cigarette. He said, you could take that to the bank. Let me tell you something. When you have courage enough, to give up a to confess that, that things are wrong and give up a three hundred thousand dollar a year job. How many people today would do that? Many of them would just simply say it's none of my business. I'm just doing what I need to do. But I'm going to tell you something. It takes courage to take a stand with your friends. You know, there's people today that would like to live a good spiritual life, but you know what the problem is? Is that many times we who claim Christian want to keep them as friends and, and we don't want to offend them and we don't want to tell them a standard or we don't want to tell them a truth or we don't want to tell them what God's done and what God expects of them and so we just kind of stand back. It takes courage, my friend, to take a stand with your friends. It takes courage to take a stand with your employer. Let me tell you a fellow that I knew in my lifetime in ministry. His name is Elmer Morris. Elmer Morris has... Uh, uh, a, a wife that uh, is a little bit deaf, been mostly most of her life, does a lot of hand uh, gestures, but, but he, he was a working, and, and he has two daughters. And Elmer got coming to church, and Elmer got saved. And when Elmer got saved, he went out to work on Monday morning to drive his beer truck. He was delivering beer. And he said, as I drove to the first stop and I, 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 I unloaded that case and his people asked me how my weekend was and, and he said, they noticed there was a difference about me. He said, I was saying, man, it was the greatest weekend I ever had. I was so thrilled. He said, I went to church and Jesus saved me and, and my family and we're just doing wonderful. And he said, on Tuesday morning, conviction began to fall on him. How can I be a Christian and witness out here delivering beer? 
And so he said, I had to make a decision. So he said, when I come in that evening to leave the truck for them to load for me for the next day, I knocked on the office door of my boss and told him, on Friday will be my last day of work because I don't feel that I can drive a beer truck and be a Christian. Now, he's got a wife and two children. No job perspective. But I'm going to leave this job that's going to pay the bills, that's going to keep food on my table and keep lights in my house and heat. But he never thought about that. He just knew that God was speaking to him. And so what he did, he got the newspaper. And he began to look. And it was right over in Sharon, Pennsylvania. And there was a Westinghouse plant that had put an ad the first day in that paper. They were looking for somebody... And so he went to apply for the job. He parked his truck on Friday and went in to give his, to give his resume to take that job. And they said, when can you come and talk with us? He said, I finished my job on Friday. I'll be there on Monday. He went in and had an interview. And I'm going to tell you something. Before the week was over, Elmer was working at Westinghouse. Why? Because, you see, he took a convicting stand. He took a stand that God provided for him. I want to tell you something. He worked for Westinghouse for the rest of his working career, retired from Westinghouse. Why? Because, you see, he had enough courage to take a stand for what he believed. I wonder how we do today. I wonder how it is with many of us today. It takes a stand, my friend, Christians, uh, to do that. The clash of, with the, uh, the image that we are trying to develop many times, picking up a cross, taking a stand, sometimes doesn't give a good image. A lot of people, they, they don't want to see that image. They don't want to see that. They, they'd rather just go on the easy side. But I want to tell you something. Those that love Him, that's a different story altogether. A cross is a necessary part, my friend, of loving Jesus. So I ask, do you have the heart of Jesus? Do you have the courage of Jesus? And then there's another one, do you have the faith that Jesus had in God? I mean, even though he was his son, he still had faith. You know what, I've got a son. I have two sons and a daughter. But you know what, they can call me dad. But how much faith do they have in me? How much faith did Jesus have in his father? It's easy to follow Christ if you have faith and you have trust in your heavenly Father. It's the easiest thing in the world when you know that the Bible says all things work together for good, that that love the Lord and that are serving the Lord. He said He will take care of us day after day after day. He will provide all of our needs. When we really believe that, great things can happen. I read a story Howard Hengrich put out a number of years ago about a, a man that got saved and he had a business and, and a thriving business, a really good business. But, but God had, con, had, had convicted him and, and he got saved. And, and in his salvation, God began to work through him and, and God called him to ministry. And when God called him to ministry, he knew he had to go. He knew he had to obey. And so he said, what do I do with this business? He tried to sell it for two months. And finally, the only bidder that he had was under what he was willing to, what he was asking for. But he sold it because he said, I know God's called me. God will take care of me. So he sold the business. And what did he do? He went out and took a little old church, about 35 or 40 people. 
Now, it was, it was one thing. You know, here was a guy that had a business, had a, a wife, had three boys at home. And now he's going out and he's going to take this little church. He's thrilled to death. I know the feeling. I've been there. He was thrilled to death to have his church and to be his. He was the pastor of that church. But things were a little tough when you got a little church and you got you and your wife and three little children at home. But he was faithful. He continued to work. He continued to, to daily doing things to, to help the kingdom, to build that church. And he said, you know, they had prayer in their home every night. And when they would get around and sit on the couch and around, the, the three little boys would get there, the one little fellow who's only just a little guy, and, and when they would get into this prayer time, they would take prayer requests. And, and little Timothy said, he said, Daddy, he said, would it be wrong for me to ask God to get me a new shirt. Why, his daddy said, not at all. Not at all, son. He said, Mother, write that down in the book. In the prayer request, write that down. Timothy, Timmy would like to have a new shirt. She wrote down, Timmy would like to have a new shirt, size 7. And they prayed for it. Every night when they come together to pray, you can believe that little old boy said, D -d remember to pray for my new shirt. Oh, yeah, we're going to pray for that. And they prayed for that new shirt for about two weeks. And then one Saturday morning, there was a phone call that came. It was a Christian businessman who had a clothing store in town. He said, he said, uh, Pastor, he said, Pastor, he said I, want, I want to tell you, he said, we've had our July clearance sale. He said, I've got some things. I know you've got, you're, you're struggling a little bit in that little church over there. And, and he said, I know you've got these boys. And he said, I have some T-shirts that's been left. He said, and I'd like to give them to you if you could use them. She said, what size? She said, seven. She said, oh, yeah. How many you got? He said, I got about a dozen. And you can have them all if you just come and get them. So she hustled down to the store. She got a hold of those shirts. She brought them home. Now, most people would have taken those shirts and put them in their boy's dresser drawer and just laid them and never said a word about it. But this was a wise family. This family, as they would come time to prayer, and, and, and you know, again, old Timmy, he speaks right up, and he said, oh, oh, wait, 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 don't forget Timmy. Sure. Oh, she said, no, Timmy, we don't have to pray for that anymore. God's answered that. He said, he has. He said, yeah, God answered that prayer. He said, Tommy, go out. Go out there and get that in, in the other room. And, and he came back in, and, and he laid that T-shirt out on the coffee table. That little boy's eyes got as big as saucers. He couldn't believe that beautiful new T-shirt that God had provided. And he looked at his mom and he said, That's awesome! She said, That's not all. Timmy, Tommy, go out and bring the other one. He came back in and he laid it on the table and he went out and he came back in and he laid it on Twelve times! Twelve different colored shirts! You know what? There's a little boy named Timmy in Dallas, Texas today that knows that God in heaven will provide the need. I'm telling you, my friend, today, that if we really believe in God, if we really love God enough, that God, my friend, in return, God will love us. You know, we got a saying around our house. I see it on the tablet when my wife sends a message over to a 22-year-old. You know, she thinks she's still seven. 22-year-old that's graduated from college in his own job, and she texts him and says, you're my heart. He said, I know, Grandma, and you're my heart too. 
You know what they're really saying is? Is that you're here. You're, you're, you're alive in me. I love you. I care about you. And I want you to know, son, if there's anything you need, and even when he don't need, he comes to town, I guarantee you every time he comes to our house, he's going to leave with money for gas whether he needs it or not because Grandma loves him. You know what? All of my grandkids, that's what they, there's a saying between them and Grandma. You're my heart. I love you. You know what they're saying? I, I, you live within me. I live for you. I live with you. I'm proud of you. That's what God's wanting us to realize with Him. He wants to be proud of us. God wants to work in our lives. But we've got to believe Him. We've got to trust Him. We've got to have faith in Him of what He said He can do, that He will do it. God will provide, my friend, if we will allow Him to do it. But so many times it's easier for us to figure out a way ourselves rather than trust God. We're always trying to figure things out. Let me tell you something. But do you know that little kid, that little Timothy, believes that there is a God in heaven. And the reason why he knows it, he knows it because God not only provided him a new shirt, but He provided the right size. Sometimes somebody will give us something we wear a little too big for us, a little too small. He'll say, yeah, you've got some kids over, would you like to have them? And they'll give you the nicest shoes you've ever seen, but they're two sizes too small or two sizes too big. Now, if they're too big, they're okay because you can shove Kleenex and tiles in the toe of them. But if they're too small, you can't get your feet in them. But you know what? God provides the right size. When God's there, God gives the right amount. You see, it's not just Timothy that does this. There are thousands of people who are serving Christ around the world in full-time Christian service who know this more than people who live in this United States. If you don't believe me, you just ask these folks here that spent all of their life overseas. And that, let me tell you something. They have prayed and asked God for things that God provided. There are people all over this nation and all over this world, my friend, that have, you know, they don't even consider it as them being there as a, as a sacrifice. I hear people say all the time, all these missionaries, what a sacrifice. No, that's their calling. They don't consider that a sacrifice. They consider that a privilege. I hear people say, oh, feel sorry. You know, we got some young guys today who got to watch in ministry. You're not careful. You know, people can get to feeling sorry for you. I never like to be pitied. <laughs> you know, there are some people who say, well, I'm not going to call that preacher at 4 o'clock in the morning just because somebody went to the hospital. I'll call them tomorrow afternoon. No, my friend, when you're called to be a minister, you're called to be a pastor, you want to be there no matter what time of the day it is because that's the time you make the most effect for God in the lives of people. Maybe not even the patient. Sometimes it's on the nurse. I pastored a church. We had, we had a number of nurses that come. When I was in Princeton and came to our church out of the emergency room in the hospital. Because you know what? They knew me in the emergency room in the hospital like I was an employee. I mean, we were there all the time. Somebody got in. We were there. We were there for them. I knew the doctors. I got a doctor who lives in our town. He's a heart doctor, Dr. Stafford. And, you know, he, he, he was in... Not in prison. He was in Ohio. He was over there uh, when I pastored in Ohio. And, and, and you know, 
at Bell Fountain, and he was the main heart doctor. And you know what? I would go in, and he knew, and he would ask me. He'd say, I want you to be there. I want you to go right in here and pray for these folks. Because, and I want you to pray for me because I need direction. I need to know. I want to be the best I can be. Dr. Petna is a great Christian fellow. And he knew the power of prayer. Let me tell you something. When people know that you have faith and that you love Jesus, let me tell you something. The phone will never stop ringing. People will call you from all over the country wanting you to pray because they know you believe because you love God enough that you know that God loves you enough that He's going to listen to you when you cry out and ask for something. Today, let me ask you, how much do you love Him? Do you love Him enough to do what He wants you to do? Do you love Him enough to reach out and help the less fortunate? Do you love Him enough to have the courage to say, I'm going to believe the Word of God no matter whether anybody else does or not? You see, I, I believe that God will honor us. The problem is, is that we want to divert from the Word and we want to kind of shadow over things when there are people that are dying and going to a devil's hell because they have no knowledge because we're afraid to preach it. Let me tell you something. I believe with all of my heart that God has given us the Word that that Word, my friend, will work in the life of the church. There's nothing in this church that God won't take care of if we really believe it. How much do you love them today? You love them enough to give them all that you got? How long have you been loving them? Some of you maybe 50, 60 years. Some of you maybe 10 years. Some of you 5 years. My sister's laying at death's door and I asked her, I said, about you? She said, you know, I've, I've loved the Lord for over 50 years. He's not going to fail me. You see, when you really know Him and you really have that in your heart, Perfect love casts out all fear. When we love God and God loves us, He'll take care of us. And so this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know what your thinking is, but I want to ask you that question that He asked Peter, and He had to ask him three times. How many times has He asked you? Do you love me? Do you love me enough to pick up a cross and follow me? Do you love me enough to do what I've asked you to do? Do you love me enough to go where I want you to go? And do what I want you to do? And say what I want you to say? I'm going to tell you something. When you can say yes to that, you will be the most blessed person in the world. I'm blessed today because I'm willing to say, Lord, whatever you want, I want to do my best to follow you. How about you? Let's stand. Father, this morning, oh God, we pray that your love might be seen and felt in the hearts and the lives of your people. Oh, how you love us, Lord. You, you were willing to give your only begotten Son for us. Lord, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we overlook it. It's overshadowed. But Lord, today we want to remember what you did for us. That we are where we are today and live the life that we live because of what you did and because you loved us enough to give your life and your son and shed his blood for the remission of my sins. Father, for that one that may be sitting here today that's discouraged, that's not feeling loved, that's not feeling cared about, 
Lord, let, let them sense today, Lord, that if they'll turn to you, that, Lord, that you'll show them the love that no other person could ever show them. Lord, that you've come real in their life. Father, have your way in the lives of these folks as we sing this morning. And if there is that need, Lord, Lord, we pray that they would open their hearts and allow you to supply it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Will you come as we sing?